Welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Dustin Ragusa, and today I'm not joined by Cade Webb. He's out of office, but I've got my buddy Adam Luntz joining. Adam, thanks so much. How you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you, uh, you know, bailing me out for some work for a few hours uh, during <laughs> this uh, this wonderful Tuesday. So I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing awesome. And, and for those of you guys that don't know Adam, He's a must follow on OSU Twitter at Adam Lunt 817. And he's formerly the co-host of the tape doesn't lie podcast with Mitch gift. Uh, they stopped doing it a little while ago, but it was, it was awesome stuff. We always try to talk him into getting back to it, but he normally just tells me to shut up. So <laughs> it's, it's good though to dust off the, uh, the old headset for a little bit. So you give me enough, you give me a little taste of the, the podcast uh, craving every once in a while. So I appreciate, appreciate you giving me that, that outlet. So. Oh, for sure. And we'll, we'll definitely try to have Adam, his schedule permitting back on a few times before football season. Cause he always gives us some good insight there on depth chart X's and O stuff. So we'll definitely hit that. But today we're going to dive into a few football related things and then, after we interview Adam, I'll kind of run through some of the other OSU sports stuff by myself. So it'll probably be a little weird. I'm not normally doing that. Cade's normally on here with me. But uh, if it's terrible, I'll just know to never do it again. But Adam, haven't got a chance to really talk to you off air or on air about the Derek Mason hire. Two years, $1.1 million. That's uh, 400000 less than the one point five he was making at Auburn. Just what are your kind of general thoughts on the hire? I mean, I think it was a no-brainer from uh, his perspective. I mean, it, uh, it's a it's a promotion, right? Uh, SEC to Big Twelve it makes <laughs> it makes perfect sense, right? So you know, I mean, it's kind of like a it's kind of like taking a step forward uh, and a small step backwards in pay, right? So um, no, I think uh, it, it's kind of a, a weird feeling because it's very uh, unlike Mike Gundy. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of a flashy hire. Uh, so I think it's interesting. And then also, too, I mean, let's be honest, if this is a two year arrangement and not necessarily looking at his contract, I'm saying like if if he stays two years, like I think that is probably like the the upside or the best possible outcome. Right. Uh, and Gundy always, you know, targets, you know, the the types of candidates that are going to be provide a little bit more stability. So um, so, you know, maybe he's changing his tune. But I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, the. The background is certainly there. Derek Mason has a, a lot of good defenses on his resume. He's been a head coach in the SEC. So, uh, you know, not only that, but also to, you know, defensive back specialists, which we could certainly use. And then, um, uh, you know, also to just, I think, like uh, the culture fit is a really good one. You know, I mean, you listen to him talk and he kind of has a presence. So, um, so you know, if, if the guy can stick around, I think it could lead to some good things for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, you hit on an interesting point. I don't think Cade and I really talked about this when we did our breakdown of the hire, but Gundy does normally preach that continuity. I feel like he talks about that in like every single press conference, how he has tries to keep the same coaching staff. And he seems almost annoyed when coaches leave, especially after 
it, whether it actually be a few years or a long time, it always seems like he's annoyed when coaches leave and he's hiring Derek Mason kind of to your point. It's probably just, even with the contract being two years, even if it was a four-year contract, I would probably bet it would be less than that around the two-year time frame. So kind of wild that Gundy's shifting his mindset, but do you think that kind of plays into what he's been preaching a lot this year with trying to get on that bigger school, bigger brand level and going and get you know the bigger names, bigger guys, and trying to kind of compete with the big boys in that aspect? I'm sure it played a role. And then also too, like you got to take into consideration that you know, times have changed. Like he, he didn't, he wanted the stability, but how many, how many defensive coordinators that aren't on the chopping block are staying at a school longer than, than three or four years? You know, yeah. it's, uh, I think you got to kind of evolve a little bit, even for Gundy who, you know, uh, he's been really on the cutting edge in some areas and some he's been set in his ways. Uh, I think this is kind of potentially an area where he's like, okay, we got to kind of change our approach because even with a candidate like Jim Knowles, who kind of came out of nowhere, was at Duke for, what, eight years? And, you know, Gundy kind of plucked him. He wasn't on any hot lists or anything like that. And he stayed for four years, and Gundy was very confident that he was going to stick around. And, oh, yeah. and even he left. You know, so I think you kind of have to change your expectations and continue to evolve your approach of, you know, if a Derek Mason, a, a candidate of his caliber – is available. You got to change your tune. You got, you got to go after it. And if here's at the end of the day, if he can come in and recruit some good players and kind of keep that defensive oriented culture intact, let's say with some mild regressions and leaves after two years, I still think that's a win at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. So. No, I completely agree with you. So in that two year window, we referenced it a couple of times. You just referenced it. What are your expectations for this defense? Do you think they can be, the caliber that Knowles left them with, or do you think they're going to, is there going to be a drop-off? I'm thinking Gundy made this hire because he doesn't want there to be a drop-off. He brought in an experienced play caller instead of promoting a guy from within his staff who doesn't have play calling experience. So is, you know, a lot of times when a new coordinator comes in, you give them that one to two year window to kind of get their feet underneath them, get their players in there. But with Mason, what do you think? I mean, that can't really be the expectation here. He's got to kind of come in and do his thing right away, right? Absolutely, yeah. I think you definitely – I mean, especially because you, the expectation is you only have for two years. So if you have a transition year, then all of a sudden you're back to looking at maybe an upside of one year where you get the best out of them. So uh, I think, you know, definitely there's going to be an expectation that, hey, you've got a pretty good roster here. Uh, we've got a pretty good existing scheme. And Gundy even mentioned referencing Mason kind of coming in and adopting their terminology and, and whatnot. So I, I, I would assume that you take that with kind of a, a, a grain of salt in that, you know, I'm sure they expect him to sprinkle in some concepts too and, and maybe keep, you know, kind of a, a mixture of, of what he does versus what they did last year. Um, but I, I think, you know, I think the expectations are going to be high, you know, especially because not only the roster, the last season they've had, and then the, the, the type of uh, prestige that, that he brings into the table. I don't think that there's expectations for any type of transition year. So, yeah, I completely agree. If, if there was a huge drop off in year one now, I think that would be a major disappointment to not only the fans, but to Gundy, because I think that was the move when he made this hired, like, like I just mentioned, someone to come in that has a lot of play calling experience, has some head coaching experience and that can come in and just kind of take what this defense has, which is a lot of talent, even losing, 
some guys like Rodriguez, Harper, Colby Harvell Peel, but still bringing a lot of talent back and a lot of talented young guys. So you, you mentioned something, Adam, I, I wasn't go, going to go here next, but since you mentioned this, what are some Mason scheme things that you saw that maybe, like you said, there, he, a lot of what we've seen is that he's going to use the same terminology, use a lot of the same kind of play calling style, but what are some things you've seen from Mason's defenses that he could bring in and kind of tweak the Oklahoma state defense with? Yeah, it'd be interesting because it's, it's not a perfect uh, fit scheme wise. I mean, they, he, he definitely has evolved over the years. Like if you look at his Vanderbilt defenses, even going back to Stanford, uh, you know, kind of more of a traditional, uh, uh, you know, traditional, even almost NFL mindset with the two gap uh, scheme. And, you know, that's kind of evolved over the years, uh, which is kind of a, still a two gap thing, but he's rolling with three safeties. And even some I saw where he had two defensive linemen and, you know, kind of the, the two overhang edge rushers, kind of like what a Baylor does. Uh, so there's some different stuff that he, that he does that I think is interesting. Um, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I don't necessarily know if there's a a perfect uh, equation to that mixture of what happened last year and what he can bring to the table. But I do know that they have to basically figure out a way to incorporate the edge rushers as much as possible, because that's going to be the strength of the defense from a roster perspective. I mean, you got Trace Ford coming back, you got Brock Martin, you got Colin Oliver, you've got, you know, even good strong side defensive ends and Tyler Lacey and and Cody Walterscheid and things like that. Like that's the strength of your defense. So he has to figure out a way to take what they did last year, the terminology, what he can add and, and sprinkle that in to get those DNs rushing the quarterback. I think is his goal <laughs> uh, is no, what I, I would say. I agree a hundred percent. Do you think we'll see a lot of that two down linemen look with the two stand up edge outside linebacker guys? Cause that, that wasn't really something Knowles would do that, but it wasn't a ton. I feel like there was more of the one hand in the ground with Oliver and Martin on the edges than the two guys down and then the Oliver and Martin outside of them. I don't, it's going to be tough because it, it kind of depends on maybe what they do in the portal, because at least from my perspective, if you're going to do a two man defensive line and basically two stand up rushers, edge rushers, you know, you're going to want to have two big defensive linemen in the middle. Uh, and especially if they're still two gapping, which is basically, you know, you stay engaged with your offensive lineman and you're kind of waiting for the play to come to you and you're playing both sides. You know, you need to have some pretty big defensive linemen and uh, specifically defensive tackles. And that's a position that's kind of thin all of a sudden at the moment. Uh, so he, he may have to make some changes. And I think one thing about the alignment that Knowles did last year was is they could really tee off Tyler Lacey because they had, you know, pretty much their their strong side defensive end, which operated kind of in like a three tech defensive tackle and other schemes. You got your big space clogger uh, with, uh, you know, a C or Evers or whoever. And then you've got your edge rusher and then you've got some other type of hybrid. So it puts a little less uh, pressure on having a space clogger at defensive tackle, like a really, really big guy. I just don't know if they have that on the roster. That's, that's good enough. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that unfolds. Uh, in terms of that two and two alignment where you got two defensive linemen, their hand in the dirt and then two rushers. So, yeah, that it, it will be really interesting. I wanted to ask before we kind of move on to something else, I wanted to ask you what you thought 
scheme wise, it seems that the one thing Oklahoma State fans seem to be keying on is how his defensive backs, the cornerbacks, are playing off a lot in some of the videos that have been put out about Derek Mason from his Auburn and Vanderbilt days instead of kind of pressed up. And we've seen Knowles do both, but you know, his kind of bread and butter when he came over was that aggressive tight either man defense or that cover three where he where they're pressed up on the wide receiver on the line of scrimmage. Do you think there's any kind of concern with that? Do you think we'll see a lot of that off man where they're five to six yards off the wide receiver or should not not be a concern for fans? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the the discussion of, you know, kind of the the blend of the old and the new. Right. You know, I mean, if you go look at their uh, his his history, you know, I mean, certainly there's a little bit more of a conservative brand uh, or con- conservative uh, theme uh, in general. I mean, not only the cornerback alignment, but also to the amount of pressure that, that he brings and whatnot. So uh, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I think certainly there's going to be more of an emphasis. A lot of it too is, is your roster. I mean, you know, if you've got guys up front that can get pressure with three or four and, you know, you're expecting certain things from your opponent, then you, you may make, point you to be more conservative i would also point to that that Knowles was a lot more conservative with the way i think they approached their cornerbacks last year as well because they didn't necessarily like in 2018 2019 you didn't have the guys to 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 be as uh to sit back and play like a casual zone coverage because you're going to give them five, six seconds to drop back versus now fast forward to 2021, where you've got super disciplined players across the field. You've got excellent edge rushers. You can mix it up. You can be aggressive. You can be conservative. You can get pressure with three, three man rush. All of that stuff was available to Knowles in 2021 and they used it effectively in kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a blended strategy. Whereas like 2018, it was like, all right, well, we're, we have four holes in our defense, so we're going to bring pressure every single play and hope like hell we get to the quarterback, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and maybe Mason was kind of uh, in the opposite direction of, hey, you know, we're not where we need to be defensive back-wise, so we're going to play a little bit more conservative. My guess is, is it's probably a little bit of a mix of the two where th- maybe there's not as much aggression as Knowles, but there's more than Mason historically, you know, kind of a blend. Uh, another thing too, that I would mention is um, I just lost my train of thought, but I was going to say, um, I don't know. We got to move on. I just totally lost. My train of thought. <laughs> hey, no worries. So don't, ed- don't the- edit it out. Edit- keep not, it in there. I'm I not going to well, <laughs> Cade's normally the one that edits. So I, I mean, I'm not gonna be able to edit anything out. So don't say anything. Don't say anything too bad on here. Cause I'm not going to be able to do that. But uh, so overall your take on the hire two lunt thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, it's about as good as you could expect. I mean, especially given the budget. I mean, you got 1.1 million, which sounds ridiculous. Just saying that number, uh, that's that's a low budget. Uh, but you know, the fact that you've got a historically great defensive coordinator with six, seven years of head coaching experience, great recruiter. I mean, yeah. I mean, of course, definitely thumbs up. I mean, there's there's some things they got to work out. I think there's some uh, methodology differences and whatnot, but it seems like he's open to, uh, to blending. And let's be honest, if, if Mason can come in and learn from Jim Knowles too, and Joe Bob Clements and some of those guys, like that could really, (laughs) that could really give him a, the boost that he needs to go get another head coaching job. So it's not just advantageous for OSU. Like maybe he could learn a lot from a defensive methodology as well. 
So no, it's, that's a great point. All right, let's move on to, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about spring football, the spring depth chart. First, I saw a Pokes report put out that spring practice is starting Tuesday, March 22nd. And it sounds like they're thinking the spring game or game in quotations, probably be some kind of scrimmage due to some of the deficiencies of players available on the offensive line is going to be Saturday, April 23rd. So that's coming up here pretty soon. So before we get into the actual depth chart, I just wanted to get your take on some of the coaching moves that are related to the Mason hire, specifically Joe Bob Clements moving to linebacker. What was your, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you think that'll kind of maybe help Joe Bob's career, maybe help the linebackers on staff right now? And how do you think that dynamic will work? Or is it really not that big of a deal that he made that move over to the linebacking core? I don't think it's as big of a deal as people like make it out to be. Like, I think if you look at it, coaches move positions quite frequently. Uh, I mean, I've seen a few coaches in the NFL actually move from defense to offense or vice versa. Uh, so, I mean, Joe Bob Clements has got 20 plus years of experience, you know, in terms of a position coach. Um, now, certainly has had a historic focus on defensive line, but I think he can pivot to, to linebacker uh, just fine. I, honestly, I think it's better load balancing, too, um, because, you know, the fact that being a D.C., you're so involved in the game planning and the overall strategy that um, if you don't have the proper support in your position, sometimes it can lag. Like, for example, last year with the linebackers, fortunately, they had an amazing uh, coach, like a, a GA. I'm not sure what the official distinction was in Coy McFarland, who was, you know, kind of up and comers. So they got lucky. But a lot of times that's not available. So in this case, you're kind of load balancing the the position coach is a little bit better to where Mason can sprinkle in some of his magic on the defensive backs. But you're still really covered on the defensive backs from a positional coach. Uh, he adds little value. Uh, directly to linebackers, but then you shift Joe Bob over. And then also, too, for um, for Richmond, this gives him an opportunity to kind of flex his muscles and kind of get out of Joe Bob's shadow. So uh, I think it'll be um, much less impact than maybe some people would lead it to believe in terms of, a, let's say, negative impact on the linebackers. I know I know you go – you've been to the extreme camps and things like that. How – how involved are the defensive linemen and linebackers in kind of like the positional meetings? Is there a lot of kind of syncing those two together? Are they split up a lot? Like, is there, is Joe Bob still going to be in the room a lot with the defensive linemen or is he going to be kind of strictly linebackers? How does that kind of work? Just because I know you have some experience being involved in some of the spring practices and fall practices. Yeah. I mean, they'll have defensive uh, meetings as a, as a whole, like the entire defense. And there's a lot of overlap in those meetings, you know, where, uh, where it's generally potentially led by, you know, the defensive coordinator, but you know, you're talking overall defensive strategy, uh, maybe not quite as granular, granular, but in terms of the individual position meetings, they're going to be separate. So, I mean, uh, you know, I'm assuming that Joe Bob historically has, you know, exclusively been in the D line uh, meetings and very little uh, interaction with, uh, with the linebackers there. So, you know, certainly that'll be an adjustment for him, but, um, but again, I think it's certainly something that he's capable of. So. Okay. I like that. And, and, you know, there's always the offer. If you, if you want to pay for me to go to the extreme camp, I'll gladly go with you. I'll gladly go. Well, well, you just gotta, um, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, my appearance on this podcast is $2,500. So you can give, I'll bill you for that. And then I'll just return the favor, uh, for extreme camp. So actually it went up to $3,000. So, so it's $3,000 per appearance. 
make no. a little off the top. I like that. Yeah. I do. I do love. I was laughing when you were talking, but I think I muted myself for a second. Uh, the one point one million for Derek Mason. You're talking about just basically lowballing him there. That's just so funny. Yeah, I'm I mean, just like thinking of my own internal uh, financial situation, and I'm like, that's a low <laughs> ball. And I'm like, where did I go wrong? I'm such a loser. <laughs> so I love it. Um, okay, well, let's let's just talk. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts. I've been putting out some depth chart guesses uh, from the Feels Like 45 Twitter. Obviously, you know, I'm dumb, so they're probably way off, but. I want to just talk to you a little bit about the offense and defense. I know you, you've seen it. I sent it to you a little bit earlier, my most recent one. What's your biggest concern on the offensive side, and why is it offensive line? <laughs> kind of teeing that up there. Um, well, I mean, I, going in the spring right like now, I mean, like not, I know right. they're going to get some guys in the portal, but just with the guys you're looking at right now on this kind of depth chart, what's your biggest concern? I mean, I think interior offensive line should be fine, uh, especially if Preston Wilson slides over to center like we expect him to. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, if we think about it in the middle of what was it, September or whatever, they completely shook up the entire offensive line to where now Cole Birmingham is left tackle and Preston Wilson moves to right tackle and all that. So, I mean, I think the tackles are a little uh, – it's, it's a strange feeling because there's a lot of talent at tackle. You know, between the fact that you've got a guy like Taylor Materico and Jake Springfield, who are less talented but experienced players, maybe slated as backups. And then hopefully Tyrone Weber is a plug and play. And you got Caleb Etienne, who uh, more or less took a redshirt year, who just oozed talent in both cases. But you have no idea, you know, what that's going to look like. So it's like there's some cautious optimism in play, but also too some, uh, you know, some concern there about how that's going to go. I mean, I saw Caleb Etienne up close last year, and he showed absolute, you know, signs of dominance, like absolute dominance, like that you would just shake your head at. And then two plays later, it looks completely lost. I think a lot of it for him is going to be. Uh, a mental thing, you know, kind of getting in there and, and understanding, um, you know, the plays and and the blocking assignments, the leverage points, uh, all the things that that you know you go through as a, as a younger player. And same thing for Tyrone Weber. Um, both of them are JUCO guys, so hopefully they're ahead of the curve. But you never know until you get out there. So uh, interior line should be fine. I mean, I think Cole Birmingham and Hunter Woodard should be fine at guard. I mean, Hunter Woodard's probably the best offensive lineman on the team uh, at this point. Preston Wilson is a tenured player that should be fine. And Cole Birmingham should be able to slide inside. Again, I'm not super worried about that. I think the tackles obviously are a big question mark, but a lot of talent, a lot of promise, and a lot of reason to be hopeful, but we don't know what that's going to look like. So, Who do you think out of the skill position players? So let's, let's talk wide receivers first. Who do you think the kind of four – starters are going to be i know they're probably going to rotate a lot of guys in but who do you think who do you see as the four guys maybe they don't have to be leading in receptions but that get the most snaps when i go back and look at pro football focus at the end of the year that's gonna be that's a good one (laughs) uh because uh, i'm I'm a little uh hesitant because so langston anderson i think is might be the most talented player on the roster uh you know, wide receiver wise, but he can't stay healthy. 
Um, just need to put him in a wheelchair when he goes out to practice or before the game. So he can't hurt himself and wrap him, wrap him in bubble wrap. But, um, (laughs) it's kind of weird because it's like, there's, and also too, don't forget about Braden Johnson. Um, oddly enough, I saw him at the big 12 title game, uh, right. Like we literally lost the game and I'm walking out and I'm like, you coming back next year? And he was like, yeah, I'll be back. So, uh, (laughs) you know, so. You saw a you know, lot of it's talented people at that game because you saw me before. I did. Game. Yeah, me true, before true. the Braden Johnson. Uh, after, so. It got better as the game or as the day went on in terms <laughs> of uh, people that were actually famous. Um, but uh, but I think we never really saw Braden Johnson be a true inside receiver. But the problem is, is you're stacked now at inside receiver now uh, because John Paul, you know, JP Richardson basically came on at the end and catches everything and runs good routes and. Brandon Presley is probably one of your best playmakers. So, you know, it's it's tough. But I guess if I had to choose like four of who would get the most snaps, I'd probably say Braden Johnson, Brandon Presley, J.P. Richardson, and maybe Jaden Bray. Yeah, I, I think, I, think I like that. I like that a lot. I I think Bray – is going to be one of Spencer's main targets. I was telling Cade that on the last podcast. I know they had some, you could kind of tell there was some, uh, you know, just kind of confusion, some disconnect between them at times last season. But if they can get on the same page in the spring and fall, I think he's going to get a lot of targets. Yeah, he's he's like the most uh, like high potential, like raw receiver of the bunch, I think. Like, I think if you look at both Blaine Green and Bryson Green, like them coming in and having a meeting immediate impact was was kind of predictable, but I think their ceiling is lower than Jane Bray. And Jane Bray definitely had some things with Spencer. He had some drops and some missed routes and stuff where he's just kind of newer to the position. But he also potentially has like the best trajectory, you know, in terms of uh, being that traditional down the field threat, deep receiver for OSU, you know. So um, it's interesting. They've got a lot of options. I mean, Rashad Owens had moments. Yeah, Langston Anderson could be healthy. How are uh, they going to get all of them in? I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, also, too, uh, don't forget about uh, Taylor Shetron. You know, who could potentially have the opportunity to to play as a freshman. Uh, the kid that they just signed, uh, Stephon Johnson. I mean, there's there's a lot of players that they have at, at wide receiver that could potentially make an impact. I think the challenge is, is there's not really like. There's not a guy right. like Presley's probably the guy. Uh, but from an outside wide receiver perspective, they've got a bunch of guys that could be contributors, but there's not a Tay Martin. And that is a problem. That person needs to separate themselves. I think the most likely to happen would be Jaden Bray. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I agree. And going back to what you said about the green twins, that practice that you and I went to in the spring, I know there was a lot of guys injured, but Blaine green had only been on campus for what, two months. And he was, dominating in that practice it's just yeah the- injuries happen. i mean injuries are going to happen too and and you know that's why the depth is important i mean if we've seen anything from recent years it's oh she's going to be absolutely gutted by inju- injuries uh so you know you've got <laughs> nine or ten guys that that you're relying on but you may only have i mean look at the boise state game here we thought this whole year that that oh she was going to be stacked at wide receiver and they barely had enough receivers to like trot out in the game uh, you know, was it Kale Cabanis or whatever made the game-winning catch? Oh, He's yeah. a, you know, a walk-on. So, uh, or did it, was it Kale Cabanis, Cole Cabanis? Uh, yeah, Cabanis. Kale. Kale. Then, okay, there we go. I got it right. And then what, his cousin played baseball, right? Is he? Right. Cade? 
uh, I think I always okay. get those confused. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, great points. Before I, so two more questions on the offense before we move to the defense. The first one, how many games into the season does it take before Gunnar Gundy takes over as QB1? <laughs> I had a feeling this was coming. Um, <laughs> I, you know, probably like, you know, mid first quarter of game one, I guess. Uh, you know, let's just, let's just start the bandwagon early. Uh, no, I love I, it. I'm, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how his career unfolds for sure. So. It really will. It really will. And then we got, so this last question on the offense real quick, this will be, I'm going to ask the same one for the defense, but this is from Alabama poke. It's a listener question. He says, who is one defender and one offensive player not, that you don't think is on the too deep, but that you're most looking forward to as potentially having an impact next season. So who's, who's somebody you don't like, you know, we, we went through a lot of wide receivers. We didn't touch on all the running backs. We talked about some offensive linemen, but who, do you think maybe doesn't start on the two deep, but could have an impact by season's end? Uh, and we're talking offense, correct? Yeah, or offense. Both? Offense right now, and we can switch to defense. Well, I would say offense is Ollie Gordon because the the opportunity, it's not only his ability, but also the opportunity that it's very likely that there's going to be a heavy rotation at running back. Um and also the fact that, that it's fairly thin. I mean, my guess is, is they probably pick up someone from the portal, but I do think that he's going to come in and kind of make a splash uh, pretty quickly. Um, I hate to I hate to say uh, defense or another freshman, but I also think like a guy to watch on defense is again another freshman and DJ McKinney, because especially with you know Bernard Converse transferring corner is pretty set in terms of the starters and Jabbar Muhammad and, and Corey Black. Uh, you know, there's a few other guys, DeMarco Jones and some other guys that could potentially see, but McKinney is like supremely talented, like super explosive athlete. Um, I think he's going to be in the two deep. I think, you know, yeah, uh, I, right. Out I of have him in mind. Freshman. I have him in mind now because of you, you peer pressured me into it. So he, I have him set as a second corner behind you. So it's good to know. That, it's good to know that if he's not, uh, doesn't turn out to be good, that there's going to be multiple people that look like idiots, including you. So, uh, <laughs> yes, I'm I'm on the bandwagon with you now. Okay, so let's switch to defense real quick. Kind of like we talked about with offensive, some of the the offensive tackles. Is there an area of concern here? And it doesn't have to be an area you think is going to be a bad position. Just is there an area of concern due to experience, depth, something like that on the defense? I mean, definitely defensive tackle, probably defensive tackle and corner. Uh, you know, I mean, you could say safety obviously lost a ton, but you've got Jason Taylor, who's got a lot of experience. And then you've got Thomas Harper, who can be your nickel corner. And then that third safety position, you've got a, you've just got a ton of talent. I mean, there's, there's a lot of options at safety that you can plug and play. Kendall Daniels, um, the uh, the kid from Muskogee that I'm name escapes me for the moment. Uh, but you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of players there, so probably safety's fine. Defensive end is definitely fine, more than fine. It's fantastic. Uh, defensive tackle, Brandon Evers is, you know, really really solid, but there's limited depth depth, and then also too, he's more of like a like an undersized three tech guy. So you don't have that true, you know, 
crazy space clogger guy who, who potentially is Sione a C, but he's more of a facilitator, like a just a guy type. Right. So I'd say defensive tackle and corner. But at, at the end of the day, too, you know, Jabbar Muhammad had a great ending to the year. Corey Black was was pretty good. So you've you've got some confidence there, but you lack some depth. So um, I would say defensive tackle and corner would be the ones that I would highlight. In terms of linebacker, I mean, you know, you bring back no starters, but bring back a lot of reps. I mean, Benson played for Texas Tech. Morton played last year. Cobb played a lot last year. So there's a lot of snaps in those uh, from those linebackers. So I'm less concerned about linebacker. I'm more concerned about cornerback, I think, would be my yeah. answer. Now, I, do you think any of those deep, younger interior defensive linemen can step up and actually contribute and be somebody that could fill in next to Evers in a C and – I mean, we can even include include uh, Saletti, the JUCO transfer coming in from Snow College, as well as one of these younger guys coming in, even though I know he's 22 years old. But the Aiden Kellys, the Colin Clays, do you, the Xavier Rosses, do you think any of those guys have the potential to come in and really be a force on the interior defensive line? I mean, Colin Clay is definitely one of those guys that, that can. The question is, is, is he going to be healthy? And that's just a big question mark, you know. I mean, he basically tore his ACL and then tore his ACL again. I, or I don't know if he tore it again, but he, he was injured and out for the season again. I remember when I saw him up close in August, and he, you know, he didn't look like he was even close to ready to play, uh, just because not because of anything he did, but because of injuries. So, you know, if he's back to normal, then that completely changes that discussion because Colin Lay, Colin Clay's a you know pretty big time uh, interior, good size, good athleticism, good power. Aiden Kelly, I think, is is you know probably a year away. Uh, he's undersized. Uh, he could potentially play that that Jaden Jernigan role, maybe. Uh, another guy is Xavier Ross. We saw him a little bit in the bowl game. He's another guy that's got really good size, but we don't know much about him. So there's just a lot of unknowns. I, I don't necessarily think I would feel comfortable putting a stamp on any of those in terms of like, you know, short-term fixes, you know, it's, there's just a lot of question marks. And I think that's why I'm concerned. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the la last question before we move on from the spring depth chart preview, Brock Martin, Colin Oliver. Do you think I know I, I I believe Martin got more snaps in the year at that Leo spot? And I know there was a lot of times where they were on the field together, but do you think that shifts more in Oliver's favor next year? Or do you think it's still pretty 50-50? And how do you see Ford getting involved? Or just I mean, I, I know I personally have really no idea what they're gonna do there. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting count. to try to. Yeah, it'd be interesting to try to find like the right balance because, um, you know, I, I think ultimately Colin Oliver and Trace Ford are kind of the same position, uh, but Brock Martin necessarily isn't. I think he's more of a um, like short, like Brock. I, I I don't think I really want Brock Martin like dropping into coverage, whereas I think Oliver and and Ford are okay with that in like limited reps. So you know, when you're talking about that Leo role, where you're kind of, you know, you're you're plugging in some interior gaps. You're on the edge. You're dropping into the flats, uh, things like that. I, I probably would prefer Ford or Martin. I'm sorry, Ford or Oliver to do that. Whereas Martin, I think, is more of a like a short quickness, like more of a traditional uh, hold the edge type guy that also has really good production in sacks. 
Um, so it will be interesting to see if you could literally see, like if Lacey could put on five or 10 pounds or, you know, uh, to where you have the, the two defensive linemen set up with Evers and Lacey as the inside three tech and then have, you know, Oliver or Ford and, uh, and Martin, Martin, thank you. On the other side of the way that, that Mason has done that in the past, it'll be interesting. They kind of have to tweak the lineup a little bit, but I think they kind of play different roles, I guess is the long version of, of that. I think, uh, I think Brock Martin is basically kind of in his own area and then Ford and Oliver, I think will probably rotate uh, in and out a little bit more, but it's good to have that depth because when you're in those more of a traditional big 12 game where there's a lot of passing, like having the ability to rotate that edge rusher uh, and be fresh is going to be really like a huge advantage uh, versus having, you know, Oliver out there with, with 50 pass rush snaps. Like that's, that takes a toll. You know, yeah. if you could get that down to 40 to where in third down and third and eight, they're screaming off the edge and they're fresh. And that's going to be important and a strategic advantage for Mason for sure. No, I love it. I love it. Great stuff there, Adam. Okay. We're going to move on real quick to our transfer portal segment. And basically, Adam, I'm just going to run through a couple guys. We don't have to break any of these down. I want to get to some more stuff on you, especially talk a little NFL draft with some of the OSU guys. But just wanted to give some quick updates. We've got the, the offensive lineman who Oklahoma State have offered in Prince Pines, the Sam Houston and Baylor uh, guard. He just recently received offers from Buffalo, James Madison, Akron, all in the past week. I hadn't really seen much announced about him after that. He should be taking some visits, I believe, in March is what I saw from him last. So no real update there. Dorian Hinton and Lance Robinson, the two Middle Tennessee State offensive linemen, they're, I think, still going to wait it out. I don't think either of them are going to make a decision anytime soon. I know they both talked about making visits. I saw Jackson State offered Robinson. He's that's really one of the only offers I've seen besides Oklahoma State that was announced. I know a lot of these guys don't announce. Then on the defensive side of the ball, you've got Rashawn Wilkins Jr., the Vanderbilt transfer who has some familiarity with Mason from when Mason was the head coach at Vanderbilt. He just recently received a UConn offer, has an SMU offer along with Oklahoma State. He entered the portal on February 3rd. I did read on on Three's SMU website um, – he gave some quotes on Oklahoma State and SMU, and I didn't love the way his quote was worded on Oklahoma State. It might have been taken out of context. It seemed like he was really pumped about SMU and not as pumped about Oklahoma State, so not really 100% sure there. And then there's a couple new guys who Pokes report. I haven't seen these reported as official offers, but Pokes report is reporting, uh, I think it's Xavier Gadlin from Tulsa, played right tackle for them, just recently entered the portal on February 9th. Darius Joyner, who is a cornerback from Western Illinois, who a lot of teams are interested in, including Kansas State, Virginia Tech, UCLA, and Texas. Marquise Robinson, a former Auburn defensive lineman who didn't get a lot of playing time there. He still has four years remaining. And then Oklahoma State recently offered, Adam, I think you're going to like this guy if you didn't see this earlier, Jason Brooks, Vanderbilt guard on the offensive line has some familiarity with Mason, but his nickname, and he refers to himself as this, and I've seen multiple articles refer to him as this. His nickname is Queso. Oh, it's you perfect. Like that I, I, I did see it, and it's it's just the elite 
uh, nickname. It doesn't. It doesn't get any better than that. So, <laughs> I think there's a guy. Actually, there's a guy that's in the NFL, and his nickname is Snacks. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> that is good. But queso, queso is a queso is a good a good second place for sure. I'm hoping so. it's due to the amounts of queso he eats. But the that is all I have on the transfer portal this week. Nothing really. No big news except that one new offer, which happened right before Adam and I started recording to Jason Brooks. It seems like if they want these Vanderbilt guys, they can probably get them. I know I talked about Rashawn Wilkins having the SMU offer, and I didn't really love his quotes there. But I also, same thing with the Prince Pines and Hinton and Robinson, the offensive linemen, the two Middle Tennessee State guys and the Sam Houston transfer. I think those are all guys If Oklahoma State wants them, they can get them. The only one out of the people that I mentioned that maybe they would have a little bit of a fight for is Darius Joyner. It seems the cornerback seems like a lot of people are really interested in him. I know he was first team FCS All-American and first team Missouri Valley Conference, all conference. So I don't know, Adam, any of those names, we don't have to break them down, but any of those really stand out to you? Anybody you really want them to try to go hard after? I know like I I haven't watched anything on Jason Brooks yet since that just happened, but any of those other names pique your interest? No, I would just say just a general statement that I know that OSU hasn't picked up any um, uh, kids from the portal yet, but they're coming. And then, uh, you know, I mean, they're they're going to end up with, I don't know, uh, you know, five, six, seven kids at the end of the day because there's still a ton uh, of movement. And then also, um, you know, on the on the negative side, I'm assuming that, you know, once once we get closer to the end of this semester, there's going to be more transfers out uh, of the way, too. So. Um, you know, I think there's still some decent amount of movement uh, there. But I, I do think that, you know, there are a few key positions. I think they want to add some depth on offensive line. I think they want to add some depth on the defensive line uh, as well. So, you know, those are the ones that I would highlight uh, as well. By the way, I think I said Morton earlier. I meant Lamont Bishop <laughs> at linebacker, by the way. <laughs> I line. thought you so were I just mean, wanted to correct myself. I thought you were talking about Nick Martin. So I was just going to let it slide because it was pretty close. But if you're going with Bishop there. Yeah, whatever. But Nick Martin is a. Uh, I, so the funny thing is, is I apparently don't remember uh, Lamont Bishop's name, but I know that Nick Martin went to Pleasanton or Pleasant Grove in Texarkana and moved from safety to linebacker. Like you know, whatever. I, I, I remember dumb stuff. Old. Yeah, I, I think I'm, you're just I'm old. very old. Very old. <laughs> Nonetheless, I'm, rep- I'm at least at least I corrected myself before the call ended. So there's that. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate someone that can be that humble and go back and make those corrections. But I'm very humble. Very <laughs> humble. I did also see no no Oklahoma State interest that I'm aware of, but Western Kentucky's all-conference USA offensive tackle Cole Spencer just entered the portal. I'm assuming he's going to get a lot of offers, but another guy Oklahoma State could look at. But that's all we have on the transfer portal this week. And, Adam, let's wrap up this. I'm not even going to call it an interview because I feel like you are – the too deep of the feels like 45 podcast. So it's not really an interview. It's just us. I like it's just it. a, two guys chatting. And that's not, a I, I have Kate as, I'm, a, I'm as just, a starter, but I'm just coming in to relieve you guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the, it's the third quarter. You're tired. You need a break. <laughs> uh, you got too many snaps in your belt and I'll come in and, and relieve you. Uh, no problem. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the Jaden Jernigan of, of, of the podcast. Oh, but I, I here's the thing. That. Here's the thing. I may go do some other podcasts like Jaden Jernigan. So you never know. <laughs> hey, that's completely fine and respected. But in all serious, Adam, thanks so much. But let's get you out on this. Let's talk a little NFL draft. 
We have Nakamon Rodriguez, Colby Harville Peel, and Jalen Warren going to the combine. Want to just get your take on that? I know we've talked about it a little bit off air, but any snubs there? Any surprises from those Oklahoma State invites to the combine? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily understand any of the uh, post game because the 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 All Star game. I mean, there's like three or four of them now, so it's kind of hard to keep track of them. But you know what? Josh Shills went to one. Tay Martin went to one. Kobe Holver Peel went to one. Uh, was there anyone else that I missed? Um, I don't think that Malcolm Rodriguez went to any. Jalen Warren didn't go to any. Trey Sterling didn't go to any. Uh, like Rodriguez you know, like, was in the one Harvell Peel was in, right? I don't remember that. I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I just think that uh, it seems like that either there's either one of two, and I, I think I put this quote on on Twitter. Like they're either being vastly overlooked, or Jim Knowles is worth twice as much as we think he is. Because <laughs> if you're telling me that you're basically going to field a top four defense, uh, and you're only going to send three. I mean, Baylor sent seven. OU sent, I think, eleven. Uh, ever, you know, all the good defenses are sending ten plus. Um, so if you're going to tell me, and, and the, the one that really irks me the most, I think, is Devin Harper, because, and and I know that Devin Harper was kind of overshadowed by, you know, Harvell Peel and uh, and Malcolm Rodriguez. The difference between Dev, that and Devin Harper is Devin Harper is like a guy, like he is. A legit, I mean, he's got good size. He's not overly tall, but he's legit like 240, 6'1, 240. He's got good linebacker size and he's explosive. Like, I was watching, randomly watching, uh, like when I wake up at 6 a.m. with my kids on Saturday, I watch replays of the Bedlam game, shoot me, whatever. Uh, and then that'll probably continue on for the next 10 years until we win again. Uh, and, uh, I'm telling you that the way he tracked Caleb Williams at 240 pounds, he is an NFL linebacker. He didn't get any invites, like not even a sniff. And I remember there's a quote lingering somewhere out there from, from Gundy or from Knowles basically saying, Devin Harper has every single tool to be an NFL linebacker. You know, And I don't necessarily know you can say that about Malcolm Rodriguez. Malcolm Rodriguez is undersized. He's short. He's, uh, you know, he's got every toolkit outside of that, but he lacks some of the physical attributes that Harper does. Uh, I just think that there's a lot of oversights and, and obviously we're biased because we watch the team and, you know, our fans or whatever, but, um, and also too Sterling doesn't get any invites. I know he's coming off of a, that was my big one. Injury. <laughs> because, so. because I thought like Trey Sterling's getting a bunch of NFL talk the year before. And then right. now it's like, he's a nobody like, because he, he had that injury, which, it's to his hand. He's a defensive player. I don't, not even sure how big of a deal that is. He was able to come back. I know he heard it again, but I just, the Harper and Sterling really stood out to me on the defense as just kind of how did they not get invited to, to your point? I, I was really thinking combine, but to your point, to anything. Well, in, uh, so Christian Holmes is another one. He got invited to the Hula Bowl or oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, the one Hawaii. Yeah. And, but I don't, I, Christian Holmes had an amazing year uh, and he's got four or five years of production at two power five schools and uh, had an incredible year. I mean, go look at, I'm sure the robots at PFF have great you know, ratings for him and all that stuff, but didn't give up really anything. 
And Adam hates the he BFF just doesn't robots. Even, yes, uh, not a big fan of BFF robots, but nonetheless, like the guy had a tremendous season for a top three defense at cornerback, and like doesn't even get invited to the. There's 350 players going to the combine or whatever, 200, however many, several hundred players, and doesn't even get an invite. It just either either uh, you know it's it's like I said, we're vastly overrating them, and they're just an amazing collective unit that came together with a great coach and a great scheme, or there's going to be a lot of undrafted free agents that make NFL rosters from Oklahoma state, like one of the two, you know? Yeah. So I agree. So kind of to segue there, my next question was two questions. How many OSU guys do you think actually get drafted? And then after that, who do you think is drafted first out of all of them? And you can answer that in whatever order you want. Yeah, that's a good one because I feel like the the there's like zero players that will get drafted in the first four rounds, but there's like seven that could get drafted in rounds like five through seven. Uh, you know, so it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think probably I probably Colby Hel- Harvell Peel would be yeah. my guess. Colby Harvell Peel. I don't know if. I think Rodriguez has to have a big uh, combine. Like he needs to go there and he needs to be 235. He needs to run, you know, let's say four, six or better, which I think is going to be a challenge because he's not like, I think he's fast, but he, I think he's more of like maybe like a four, seven guy. I think his height is going to be a challenge, which is really dumb. Like I don't understand why it pays to be tall as a linebacker, but that's just the way of the world in terms of the NFL draft. Um, I don't know. I think Colby Harvell Peel probably has the best chance because he's very versatile. Like he can play the, he can play a box safety. He can play the free safety role and all that stuff. But I think he has to run well too. And he's not exactly a speed guy either. Uh, so I, I would go with Harvell Peel though. I like that. When Kate and I talked about this originally, I said Trey Sterling, but that was before any of the all-star game invites or combine. So now I think that's going to be wrong because he just seems to be getting completely overlooked. But I would say, yeah, Harvell Peel or Malcolm Rodriguez, those are probably going to be one and two, I think. But do you think any of these other guys get drafted? Do you think a Tay Martin gets drafted? Do you think a Sills gets drafted? I forgot Anywhere about Tay Martin. Gets drafted? Probably, do you think? I, I'd like to repeal my – I think Tay Martin is probably the best chance. Okay. I, I, I totally forgot about Tay Martin. Um, and, and Tay Martin got invited to one of the Shrine Bowl or whatever, but he didn't get invited to the combine. I mean, he's got three touchdowns in the Fiesta Bowl versus Notre Dame, goes and tears up the Shrine Bowl and doesn't get invited to the combine. So anyways, uh, I think I think they'll probably get – my guess would be they get two or three guys drafted. All of them are in the fifth or sixth or seventh round. And then they have a slew of undrafted free agents, and I bet you at least two or three of them make rosters at the end of the day. Um, I, I do want to say one thing. I think if you look at uh, right now, who's the best NFL prospect of all the players from that team for the NFL season next year, it's Tyler Lacey. I would choose him, and he didn't go pro because uh, I think he's, he's a legit strong side defensive end. He's made for the NFL. He's good size. Uh, you know, So he kind of reminds me of like a, a Calais Campbell type where you know he's not as big as him, but you know, definitely can hold up in a three-man front, can hold his own, can be a strong side defensive end in a four-man front. So uh, I would choose him, and 
he didn't go pro, but some other guys did go pro. So it's interesting <laughs> how that happened. So now that's, that's great stuff, Adam. Well, thank you. I feel like I took up way too much of your time today, but I really appreciate it. You're always a great person to have on the podcast. And as long as you keep saying yes, we're going to keep having you on because we really appreciate your insight. And we always, I mean, whenever you're on with Cade and I, we get a ton of views. So we got to keep you on so we can get, you know, more, more of those clicks anyway. Not I've that got everyone, just for the I've clicks. got everyone, I've got everyone fooled that I actually know what I'm talking about. Uh, so uh, I didn't say that. You didn't hear that. Edit that out. Uh, it's oh, fine. Edit that. Everything's fine. So Adam, I'm going to sign you off here and we're going to go to a commercial break. But like I said, thanks again and have a good rest of the day. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. All right, guys, listen up. Sponsor on the podcast, Homefield Apparel is absolutely crushing it. If you haven't checked them out yet, you absolutely need to. I mean, they are leading the charge in premium vintage collegiate apparel right now. Uh, I mean, they are offering vintage college sports t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies with over 100 schools available. And I mean, they're adding new ones all the time. This is the perfect gift. Uh, Homefield Apparel for the sports fan, for the college sports fan. You got to go check them out. And use our promo code FEELS12 to get 15% off your first order. And, of course, all orders over $100 get free shipping, as always. Promo code FEELS12, 15% off your first order. And all orders over $100 get free shipping at Homefield Apparel. Visit them at homefieldapparel.com. All right. Thanks so much to Adam. We really appreciate him coming on. Going to hit a couple of things. Let's do basketball first. We've had we had two games since we last talked. Cade and I were on. Oklahoma State beat West Virginia 81-58, to and then they lost to Kansas last night on Big Monday, 76-62. to Just taking a look back at that West Virginia game, big-time game for Musa Cisse there, 18 points and 10 rebounds from the sophomore big man with the double-double there. West Virginia didn't really do anything. Shot terribly for the game. 32%, 26% from three. Oklahoma State was just able to kind of dominate them the entire game. Avery Anderson with 18 points to go along with Cissé's 18. Bryce Thompson chipped in 13. It was just an all-around solid game. Bryce Williams finally looked like he kind of had his ankle back a little bit. And it was just complete lockdown defense by Oklahoma State. Dominated the boards 48-24 to 24 in total rebound. Just an absolute massacre on the board from Cissé. And Oklahoma State went with the lineup with Tyreek Smith and Cissé, both starting two big guys down there, Anderson Thompson and likely rounding out that starting five. It paid off big time here. Oklahoma State gets the huge win. They're pretty much, pretty much dominated from start to finish. Had a six-point lead at halftime and then outscored West Virginia 45-28. to 28. In the second half, Isaac likely tallied his 428th career assist to move up to fifth all time on the Oklahoma State charge. Cade and I talked about when he hit that sixth place marker a few weeks back. So that's big time. Mike Boynton had some great things to say about the team after the game. And and like I said, it's just it was just great to have Bryce Williams back. The Cowboys are one and five without him and then had a couple losses when he got back and he just wasn't 100 percent. Avery Anderson had a high usage rate here. It paid off. He had a really solid game. Not great shooting, 0-5 from three, but he got it done from the free throw line. Also 
10 and 12 from there, also had seven rebounds. Isaac likely wasn't able to get much going on the offensive side, only four points, but he chips in five rebounds, three assists. Just an overall great game. The Cowboys had 13 assists total, got 11 fast break points, dominated inside as they, we've seen them do all game with 40 points in the paint to 16 from West Virginia. But all that positive momentum came to a close. Oklahoma State got pretty much worked last night by Kansas, 76-32. KU had a 38-28 lead at halftime. They only shot 39% of the field and 25% from three, but Agbaji and McCormick were able to go off pretty much the entire starting lineup for KU. Braun had six, Harris had 12, Wilson had 11, Agbaji had 20, McCormick with 12. They were going to him a lot in the first half, and he was kind of just dominating. Oklahoma State went with that Smith, likely Thompson, Anderson, Cisse lineup again with the two big guys, but it just wasn't as, it just didn't pay off as well. McCormick was able to kind of do whatever he wanted on Smith a little bit early. Oklahoma State still won the battle inside 38 to 28 points in the paint. They got out rebounded 46 to 39, only had 10 assists, not a lot of good ball movement there. Only eight fast break points, only 11 points off turnovers. KU only turned, they were able to only turn KU over nine times. You know, Oklahoma State pretty much get 10 or more turnovers from their opponent almost all season long. We actually saw a little interesting lineup with Cissé and Caleb Boone at the same time. The Cowboys played a lot of zone when they went with that, but we've seen a lot of Cissé and Smith recently or some Boone and Smith, but not a lot of Cissé and Caleb Boone. So that was a little odd there, but yeah, the Cowboys, it was pretty disappointing They've got Kansas State coming up next at home on Saturday. Last time they lost 71-68. K-State's coming off of wins against Iowa State and West Virginia. Last time Bryce Thompson had 22 points, but Oklahoma State only had 28 points in the paint, I believe. They've been getting consistently over 30. They only got to the line seven times. Rondell Walker chipped in 18, so love to see that, but the big thing you're going to need to see different from the first time they played K-State in this game is Cissé, Caleb Boone, Tyreek Smith, and Matthew Alexander Moncrief only combined for two points last time against K-State. So you're going to need a lot more scoring from them. That's your quick basketball recap. I feel like I need to take a huge deep breath after that. And again, apologies. I'm not used to doing this by myself. So I know I'm talking fast. I'm probably saying uh and um a lot and just want to go ahead and apologize for that. But let's move on to our the rest of Oklahoma State sports. I kind of wanted to walk through a few other things real quick. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From shooting hoops to the Super Bowl. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Oklahoma State women's golf completed in the Columbia Classic this past weekend. Isabella Fierro won the individual title, so congrats to her. The Cowboys have started the spring portion of their schedule with back-to-back -back individual champions as Madison Henson Tolchard was able to win the first tournament of the semester. Cowboys came in third place. The Cowgirls came in third place. They probably should have won this tournament. There were some solid teams, Virginia Techs, Texas Techs, Georgia, Illinois, but the second-ranked Cowgirls probably should have came away with the victory here, but still great for Fierro to get that win. They're up next at the Icon Invitational in Humble, Texas this weekend. Men's golf, they finished in second place this weekend at the Gators Invitational. There were some talented teams there. Florida, South Florida, Liberty, LSU, Missouri rounded out the tournament. Uh, Shakara and Rahan Thomas both got top five finishes. Stark came in 18th. Bojin came in 19th. So solid for them there. Shakara had just won in the tournament before. So another good finish from him. 
OSU men are currently ranked third in the golf stat rankings, and they're next up in a couple weeks at the Cabo Collegiate. Starts on February 27th. In wrestling, they fell in the bout at the ballpark 23-9 to to Iowa at Globe Life Field this past weekend. I heard I knew a lot of people that were there. It sounded like a fun time, but tough to see the Cowboys get that loss to number two Iowa there. I think they got out to an early lead, but lost a bunch of the middle matches, the middleweight matches, and just weren't able to pull it out there. They're back at it against Bucknell this Friday. Some sad news, though, and tough news for Oklahoma State Wrestling. A.J. Ferrari, who was recently in a car crash earlier this year, didn't sustain any serious injuries from what we heard, but John Smith on his radio show announced that A.J. will be done for the season. So tough news for Cowboy, Cowboy Wrestling there. They still have a solid team. They still should be able to make a good run. If you want to hear more on that, obviously listen to Dynasty Defined podcast from our buddy Lee Cothran. But tough to see AJ out, but you know he'll be back. You know he'll be competing for another national championship. Cowboy baseball kicks off the season this weekend at, at Vanderbilt in Nashville. Vanderbilt's pretty much top three in every preseason poll. So that's going to be a tough stretch this weekend. Those games will be, you'll be able to watch those games. It'll be fun to see Josh Holiday and the boys kick off this season. We'll have some good, we'll have a recap of that next week when Cade and I are back. They've also got Sam Houston on Tuesday in Arlington at Globe Life, where the Cowboys just wrestled. And then their first home game is February 25th at Wright State. So Cade and I will be able to dive into that a little bit more. Hopefully we'll have a get some guests on to talk baseball a little a little bit further down the road. But uh pumped to see that, pumped to get out to some games this season in Stillwater. Cal girls softball had a great weekend four and one after the weekend. Also, if you have a division one, a D one softball sub, they just released a great article today on Kylie Naomi, my MVPs of this weekend. I was able to watch every game except the Duke game. My MVPs, Kelly Maxwell. She's two and zero after the weekend, 21 strikeouts, no earned runs in 11 innings pitched. She looked the left-hander looked absolutely dominant she, every time she came in, whether it was starting the game or in relief, no one was able to really touch her. She's kind of taken over Carrie Everly's role as the ace, even though she had a great season last year as well. It'll be really exciting to see how she progresses through the year. And I think she's going to have a, be on a lot of award watch lists as we move forward. I know she was already on a bunch of preseason award watch lists. The position player, who was my MVP, Cheyenne Factor, center fielder. Batted 313 and 16 at bats, three RBIs, two home runs, 688 slugging percentage, no errors in the field. She made some nice plays. She's just solid. Kenny Ayes, he talked about her in all of his preseason interviews that I listened to, Media Day, that uh, in the Circle podcast, just talking about how Cheyenne, just kind of the, the glue to this team. She's a solid hitter. She's got power to be able to hit it out of the park, had the walk-off home run, big-time stuff from her. And then my kind of surprise player, and this may just because of me, I know she played a lot this this past season but true sophomore Avery Hobson left fielder she pinch hitted and played some games in the field 508 at bats two RBIs and a stolen base she looked awesome at the place kind of that more of that slap hitter thought she looked great overall the ASU game Cowboys were able to pretty much dominate that one with Maxwell in there we got to see transfer Miranda Ellish after not competing at all in the 21 2021 season she comes in and she's able to just kind of play really well there started off a little struggled but she was able to get out of the inning we got to see Morgan Day the Illinois State transfer and Kenny Gajewski you know talking about these two just wanted to get them in this game Maxwell was pitching well but just wanted to get them in there 
to kind of see what they had to do. Next, we're at Duke. At Duke, we got to see Miranda Ellis' first start. Struck out six. She allowed two runs and 5.1 innings of work. Looked a little rusty at times, but you can see she's extremely talented. Awesome that we got her as a transfer from Oregon and Texas. On the other side of the ball, though, the OSU offense just could not get anything going against Blue Devil pitcher Peyton St. George. Only got three hits, no runs. St. George retired the 12 of the last 13 batters she faced, striking out nine along the way. She was really just was whiffs, missed barrels. And then when the Cowboys did get the bat on the ball, it's just a lot of weak pop flies. But Haley Busby almost got her twice. Two deep shots. One of them was foul. One of them got caught at the wall. Just not a great game overall, but that was really the only letdown of the whole time from Duke right there. Utah, we got to see Morgan Day's first start. She went to work. She looked really good. They were able to beat the Utes. Kelly Maxwell came in in relief and completely shut down Utah's offense. Avery Hobson, who I talked about earlier, had a two RBI double. And it j- just a great overall game from them. And then Cheyenne Factor with the with the walk-off home run in that game. Cal Baptist, we got to see Tatum Clopton in her first career start, the freshman. She looked good. Oklahoma State was able to pull that one out. And then they finished the weekend with Missouri State. And they were able to – they were able to – it was close to most of the game, but Kelly Maxwell came in and kind of – shut it down, striking out eight and only three innings of work. So Cowgirls looked really good in this one, in this series, this invitational. And they move on next week to Clearwater, where they're going to see teams like Michigan, LSU, South Florida, Washington, Northwestern. All those games are televised, starts this Friday on ESPNU or ESPN Plus. So you'll be able to watch all of those. So that was kind of my breakdown there of the, the rest of OSU sports. We've got a couple of questions. Uh, there's one, I know Brian Metcalf sent one in. Brian, you do love your questions every week. I'm going to save this one for next week with Cade. I want to get his take on this, talking about some improvements to college football. I think it'd be a fun one for him and I to discuss. So I'm going to skip that one for this week. We'll hold it off on the next week. Got one from M Camera One. It says, how much of an impact do you think Braylon Presley can make as a true freshman? Personally, I'd love to see us put Brennan and Braylon on the field together and call it the Spartan package or something like that. Am I love that name. Love that question. I'm not sure how much we're going to see Braylon Presley. Adam and I talked about how many wide receivers Oklahoma State has. We know the Cowboy coaching staff is looking to use Braylon as a wide receiver. We talked about how the slot position is stocked with Brennan Presley, with John Paul Richardson, with Braden Johnson, other guys there. You're going to have to kind of find a way if Braylon Price is going to get out there, it's going to, I think it's going to be behind those guys, but maybe he gets some action in the return game. You can see him on kick return. Maybe he gets swapped in a little bit on punt return. I think he's going to be more of a gadget play type guy in that first season. If he's going to see the field, but later on down the road, I'd, I'd love that Spartan package and some stuff like that. I, I don't know how much of an impact he makes as a true freshman, but I definitely could be wrong there. And then we've got one, Voice question. I'm going to go ahead and play it now from Alexander Smith. Thanks so much, Alexander, for all these for these questions you've been sending in. They've been great every week. So let's listen to that now. Hi guys, this is Alex in North Carolina. So I wanted to ask about the different types of go routes. So it's a staple in our current 
um, offense that we throw a lot of the underthrown, intentionally underthrown 20 yard go routes that kind of lets the receiver go make a play instead of the traditional 30 yard over the shoulder go routes that are more for what I consider stretching the offense. Um, Why is that? Are we leaning more on the wide receiver? Is it something to do with keeping the safety out of the play? Um, And have we seen any signs that we would go back to the more traditional go route um, in any of the recent seasons? Um, and, uh, speaking of go routes, um, I, my favorite play when I'm thinking about Spencer Sandals potential potential is, uh, the, his first trip to Austin, his first year starting the Braden Johnson, 65 yard throw. That was like a freaking trebuchet. Um, love that play really shows his upside, his arm strength. What is y'all's favorite Spencer Sanders play that you're going back to this year and saying, man, this guy rocks. Alex, thanks so much for the question. Really appreciate it. On the go route thing, it's really just, you kind of alluded to it. It's really just taking what the defense gives you. You know, we saw a lot of times this year with Tay Martin, the defense would shift the safety over to his side. So they're going to have help. The corner's going to have help from the safety on any kind of deep go route. So it's kind of just Spencer being able to fit the ball in where he can. You see with Jaden Bray, you see a lot of those back shoulder throws that you talked about. That's obviously he's he's a supreme athlete who Spencer trusts going up and get the ball in one-on-one coverage, not really so much of a straight line burner. But then you do see the deep post, the deep seam goes from a guy like Brennan Presley. So they do still do stuff like that. But to your point, it's kind of just taking what the defense gives you. I think I think what you're kind of getting at is some of those James Washington, the Mills concept where one receiver runs the inside dig and James Washington runs the deep post over the top and Mason Rudolph will hit him in stride. That Oklahoma State had kind of done that so much. Defenses kind of take that play away. We haven't seen them go to that as much, but they still do it sometimes. And I think, I think traditional go route, it just kind of depends on how the defense is lining up. But I definitely, we, we did see it this year. And I think it's something we'll see in the future. I think we'll continue to see the back shoulder throws because Oklahoma State has so many athletic guys who can go up and win those contested catches. So I think it's a, I think it's a little bit of both, but I think I think we'll definitely see both going forward. On Spencer Sanders, great call out there, man. I am Kate is so much better at kind of going back and remembering specific plays than me. So I wish I had him here for this question, but I I don't know. Watching the OSU Max breaks downs, I really love the option that he broke down on that, and then the pass to Brendan Presley in the bowl game. Those were both great plays, great throws, big momentum shifting plays there. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch those OSU Max film rooms. I know I've talked about it on here, but if you can go watch the Spencer Sanders one, pretty much every play he broke down on there is probably my new favorite Spencer Sanders play, just being able to listen to him talk about it. So, Alex, thanks again. Sorry for the kind of shorter answer. Just without Cade here, it's a a little bit different. We did have one more Twitter question I didn't get to from Pope Truther at Pope Truther. This is a men's basketball question. He says, at what point is there any repercussions for players for taking horrible shots? Do we even have an offense we are trying to run? Watching KU run their half court may be long for the Eddie days. Pope Truther, appreciate the question. I think what it, what it kind of comes down to is Oklahoma State is just not a good three-point shooting team this season. So I don't know so much if it's bad shots, the fact that they're just not able to make threes, whether they're open or contested. And sometimes they're having to force stuff, but – there is an offense. We've seen it. I've put a lot of videos out on the feels like 45. They run a lot of that kind of motion spread flex stuff where they're setting a lot of ball screens right off the bat, a lot of movement. 
and you just kind of see what's going from there. And then if the shot clock goes down, obviously they're going to get into some ISO situations, some situations where they have to dump it inside and just kind of let somebody go to work. But there is an offense there. We've pointed out times when Mike Boynton's kind of shown his capability at X's and O's. He's great on the inbounds plays. We've seen that pretty much his entire career here. So, and then kind of going back to the shot selection, Boynton's talked about in his pressers, you know, Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson, they like to shoot the long twos, which is not known as a smart analytical basketball shot. And Boynton even has brought that up, but it's where they feel comfortable. It they, They've made a lot of them this year, especially Thompson. So I don't know if you can really call that a bad shot from those two guys when it's something that they're they're good at. But I definitely see your point and, you know, hopefully things kind of wrap up positively for the basketball season and, you know, already looking forward to next year when they're able to get into that postseason play. I did have one additional question. Let me get to it here. This was sent to me actually on Instagram. Yeah, this is from Cole on Instagram. He says, I don't have a Twitter, but I've got a football question for you for the pod. Would you rather, A, have a guaranteed Bedlam victory each season with a loss in the Big 12 championship game against a non-OU team, B, have a guaranteed Bedlam loss each year, but win the Big 12 championship over a non-OU team? He says, seems like winning the Big 12 should be more important than Bedlam, but that sure was sweet to finally beat OU this year. Cole, I, I think I agree with your your analysis at the end. I, I'm going to take the Big 12 championship, but you were right. It, it sure was a sweet victory. So, guys, we really appreciate the questions as always. Sorry I'm kind of rushing through them. And sorry that I've apologized like six times. But really appreciate that. Kate will be back next week signing off. Remember to follow Kate and I on Twitter if you're not doing that already, at DustRagu. Follow the at feelslike 45 pod for to get – you know, kind of all the videos we're putting out there. And Kate, sorry, Cades is at Cade Webb. Really appreciate it. We'll be back next week signing off. As always, go Pokes.